Um, so excited to be in the middle of, well, I guess it's not the middle, we're still at the front end of a sermon series on First and Second Samuel. We're looking for lessons from leaders, good lessons, bad lessons. We're going to learn from both things that apply to us um, and, and things that are highlighted in the leadership, especially in Israel. Uh, and we're going to learn from those. And so we're like six, seven weeks in. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, at least I'm learning things as I study throughout the week and get ready for Sunday mornings. It's been, it's been already beneficial for me. Uh, and I know the other pastors as we've been studying for this series. If I were to say, what did you want to be when you grow up? Yell out, give me a couple of answers. What did you want to be when you grow up? Okay, maybe I can't hear everybody at once. But what do we have over here? Randy. A kid. Randy wanted to be a kid when he grew up. Now, don't get me wrong. That is the best life. Anybody else? A mom. Successful. A marine biologist. An astronaut. Anybody else? What they wanted to be when they grew up? A veterinarian. You like animals. Right? Those dreams that we have as kids are kind of like based on what we think would be our best life, right? What would be the most fun that I could have when I grow up? I wanted to be a firefighter for a while, and then I wanted to be a police officer for a while, right? I mean, those were like things that I dreamt of maybe being when I was a young kid. I thought it was cool. I thought the big red truck was awesome, right? I thought, you know, having the baton and the handcuffs and protecting people would have been cool. So like a policeman, those were some of the dreams that I had. Um, and yet I think as we look through today's passage, what we're going to see in first Samuel chapter seven, verses two to 17 is that if you want your best life, serve God only. In other words, I think what we're going to see today is no matter what you're doing, whether it's your dream job or not, maybe it's just paying the bills and you're praying about a career change, uh, no matter what the job is, you can serve God in that. And if you want your best life, we're going to learn that through serving God only. Now, I know last week, Pastor Dave did a great job going through two chapters plus a couple of verses. So any of you that were here last week, I know we had kind of a marathon. This week, we're not even doing a full chapter. So, I mean, you, you, you're, you're going to get out in time for lunch. Okay, I can promise you that. You might, uh, you, it might be a little longer than you still thought I needed for it, but you're going to get out of here. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 2. Open up your Bibles if you'd like. We'll have the words up here on the screen also. And in the back, we do have our grab a Bible table. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you want one, I want to invite you even now as I'm talking, walk back there and grab one of those Bibles off the table. You can put your name in that. Make it your own. Let it be a gift from us to you, not just one that you borrow this morning. Uh, and then that way you can highlight things, circle things, write questions in there that maybe, uh, you know, about things that you don't understand or you want to follow up on. Let that be a gift from us to you this morning. So let's dive right into 1 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 2. 
From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the ash teroth from you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Here we see, uh, we're looking at the verse where Dave ended last week. They ended with this verse. And, and, and the question that remained was, were they truly sorry that they had sinned, or were they sorry that they had gotten caught, right? In other words, why, uh, sometimes when we get in trouble and we repent of it and we say, hey, we, you know, I want to confess this sin to you. I want to tell you maybe where I've been in error. Uh, it, it feels different or it is a little bit different than when you get caught in your sin. And Israel had definitely gotten caught in their sin. And so we, we know that the, the children of Israel are, are, are trying to figure out what their relationship with is, you know, with God is because they've been looking around at the world around them, at all the other countries and seeing kings and the way that they lived and they weren't as satisfied with their relationship with their God as they used to be. And they're trying to figure this out. And so as we look at this passage today, we got to, we got to like ask ourselves, were they lamenting their sin? Were they truly sorry for it? Or uh, were they just lamenting that they had gotten caught in their sin? And, and they're, when you're talking about an entire country, there definitely could have been people in both camps for sure. But nonetheless, whatever the answer is, we know that it 20 years has passed. And this is a, a long time, right? This is a long time. We've been waiting in this story for Samuel to come in and, and lead his people. We spent a lot of the early chapters looking at Samuel and, and, and the, and the, the priests that were there before him, Eli and his sons and, and how sinful they were. And, and we kept seeing that Samuel served the Lord. Uh, and, and we knew that Samuel was going to be this key person in the story to help bring Israel along to where they needed to be. And so finally here, we get to see a lesson from a godly leader. A lot of what we've learned so far has either been from a young Samuel moving into leadership, or it's been negative things from Eli and his sons. And, and we've been able to apply those to our lives. But today we're going to see Samuel moving into this leadership role and also giving us some lessons, some things that we can apply to our lives to help us become the men and women that God has called us to be. And today it's going to be a call to repentance. And for each of us sitting here, that call to repentance has been placed on, on our hearts or in our lives. And for a lot of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ already, we've repented from living in rebellion or outright sin against God. And we've said we're going to place our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to follow his way. 
Now, there are still times that we trip up and sin, and we need to repent of that and, and move back towards the cross. But that major change, that major turn from a life without God to a life with God has taken place. Now, there could be a few of you out here who are, are pre-Christian, who haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And, and so you're still living, not following what the Bible says, not following God's word, and if Holy Spirit were to draw you today unto himself, you would, there would be this need for change. You got to stop looking at yourself and your own desires and the way that the world would say this is the way to live. And you got to start focusing in on God. But what we see here is a, a call to repentance to the children of Israel back to following their God. He says, if you truly are returning to the Lord... Right, We see that up there. Samuel says, if you're truly returning to the Lord with all your heart, I'm going to show you a threefold formula. Right, And this formula still works today. So if you are taking notes, these are the things to write down today. If you're highlighting, you can highlight these three phrases. Look back on them this week. And even if you're not, just kind of listen and absorb that. And then hopefully, like I said, Holy Spirit will bring that to your memory this week. But as we look at this, we see Samuel give three, uh, Three ways that they can return to the Lord. Three things that they should do that they need to do. And the first one we see there is remove your idols. God is a jealous God. In other words, when you decide, I am going to follow God, he wants all of you. He doesn't want you just to show up on Sunday. He doesn't want you to say, I'm going to pick and choose some of the things out of the Bible that I think would make my life a little bit better, and I'm going to just do those things. Because again, that's just setting yourself up for the kind of life that you want. God wants all of you, right? And so Samuel is saying to the children of Israel, you need to, if you want repentance, you're calling upon the Lord, you want salvation from the Philistines, you need to remove your idols, put away the foreign gods, right? The, the Ashtaroth, the Baals from you. What the children of Israel had done is they had forsaken or forgotten their God, and, and brought in these other idols, these deities, these ideas, these concepts that fit the lifestyle that they wanted to live. And Samuel's saying, stop. You need to repent, which is turn away from that and move forward. Now, Baal and Ashtaroth were the male and female gods of fertility. Okay? And in a lot of these countries that worship Baal and Ashtaroth, they would then include sex or sexual things in their worship. And for some of the Israelites, they liked that. They thought, why can we not do that? When we worship, when we worship God, when we worship these gods, why can't we bring in this thing that is pretty incredible? And, and literally, they love to worship these gods because of the sexual debauchery that was involved with their so-called worship. Okay, we got to call it out for what it is. Samuel put these specific gods in there for a reason, and that's where the children of Israel were at this time. They wanted, they wanted the blessing of God. They wanted God's protection. A couple weeks back, remember, they brought in the ark thinking, if I bring in the ark of the covenant, we're going to win because God will be with us. And yet, they wanted all the benefits of what the world said was okay. 
Okay. And so we have gods that, that are centered around sexual pleasure. Let's bring those lowercase g gods into our worship. Now we can pause right here and look at this and say, man, there's some application for this today. There really is. And the first thing that Samuel calls us out on, there is some application. We may not have Baals and Ashtaroth idols sitting on our fireplace at home, right? We may not carry a trinket in our pocket with an image of them, but we have idols in our own lives if we're honest with ourselves. And a lot of times we will turn to those. We want the benefit of those. We're going to focus a lot of our attention and time and money on those. And yet we still call on God, but we really ignore him. And, and especially if we're living out of line for what he's called us to do in these other areas that are now becoming small G gods in our lives or idols in our lives. So idols that you and I might struggle with include now when pastor Kevin and I sat down, we started talking about this. Obviously the first one we have to acknowledge is the one that Samuel brings up, right? Sex, the, the, just like these fertility gods for the children of Israel, sex has become a God in our culture. I mean, just look around you, turn on the TV, talk to people, you know, walk around a mall, whatever you want to do. I mean, it's all about how do I satisfy and please myself? We want it our way. We want it. We want to satisfy ourselves. We don't care what God says about it. If you look in the Bible, God gives you specific guidelines on how to approach sex within a marriage uh, and how you should live if you're not married, and, and all those things. And God has laid those out for your benefit. He says, to protect you, this is the way you should live. Because if you have relationships with someone and then you break up, there's pain involved, right? You become emotionally attached to somebody. And, and every time, even if you say, no, 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 we're still friends, we broke up, somebody was hurt more than the other person, probably, if not both of you, heavily damaged. And so God lays out these plans, and he had done that to his children here, the, the Israelites, and yet they didn't care. They wanted what everybody else was doing because it was more fun and it satisfied them. And they said, we don't care about you, God. And so really, if we look around the world today and in our lives, a lot of counsel that takes place, uh, you know, in my office throughout the week, a lot of times comes back to sex or sexual relationships in the sense of how do they fit into my day-to-day life? Like, it's a big part of people's lives. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, we, we let that become an idol. We're not concerned with what God's called us to do or how God has called us to behave, but we want what we want, right? And so, acknowledging what Samuel has here written, what was a problem in that day and age, acknowledging it here today, I pray that it's not an idol for you. I pray that it's not something that you struggle with. I pray that you found freedom in God in the area of sex and your relationships with other people. But if not, know that you're not alone. But also, you need to do whatever you can to weed out that idol. Do not give it a place in your lives. Now, there could be other things too. We want to acknowledge that. There are other idols that we have in our lives. For some of us, it's our appearance. 
how much time I spend in front of the mirror in a day outnumbers the amount of minutes that I spend with God in his word or worshiping him or praying, you know, if that's you today, maybe your appearance has become an idol. You can spend a little less time worrying about yourself. That doesn't mean let yourself go, but worry a little bit less about that and, and, and focus in on your relationship with God. It could be your finances. Again, God has called you to be good stewards of your money. I mean, I love teaching the Dave Ramsey course. I love helping people find financial freedom. But that being said, finances are not supposed to be your God. That is not an idol. You can't put your trust in that. If the stock market crashes more tomorrow, does that cause you stress and strain? Do you think about money when you go to sleep or when you wake up in the morning? That might be pointing towards finances being an idol in your life. You can set up in your life your spouse, your girlfriend or boyfriend, your best friend as an idol. Do you care more about that person than you do about God? Do you allow it to get to an unhealthy place? Kids. I don't know how many people abandon all reason once they've had kids and all they focus on is their kids. Now, kids are important. Raising godly kids is very important. But the key word there is godly. You have to have them in the right perspective. They can't become your entire life. And, and you need to, you need to raise them in God, right? Not raise them up to be little gods in your life. Job, success, hobbies. I mean, we could go on and on. I think if you're honest with yourselves, you know that there is a temptation to set up things in this world that God has given us for their pleasure in the right way that he has given us as blessings. Those can become idols in your life. And Samuel here is saying, you've got to repent of those idols. You've got to, you've got to move away from those. You've got to remove them from your lives. One pastor suggested you ask yourself a few questions. So again, if you're taking notes, right, if you need to determine if something is an idol in your life or not, this is what he said. What if taken away would make me angry or depressed? And I thought, yeah, if, if that, if something, losing something, right? And that could be like your alone time or a hobby, even if it's not costly. So again, it's not always about the amount of money, but it's your energy. It's your in, intent on, on it being the focus of your life. If that were taken away from me, would I be angry or depressed? The second thing he said is, what do I think about all the time? Right? And as I was going through this, this section, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Oh, man, I started thinking, man, I think about food a ton. I love food. Like, am I allowing food become an unhealthy idol in my life? And I'm being serious. I see a lot of you smile, a couple of you chuckle, and I love you guys for it. And I know you guys love me, and that's why it feels so good. But that being said, like, I love food. When I wake up in the morning, is the first thing on my mind what I'm going to have for breakfast? Or is it thoughts of God? I mean, seriously. And you may say, Pastor Mark, you're nitpicking. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like if I finish breakfast and the next thing I'm thinking about is what I'm going to have for lunch, that we're, we're, we're going down a path we maybe shouldn't be thinking about. So what do I spend my time 
what do I think about all the time and what do I spend my, uh, my time doing? So that was the third, where do I spend my time was the third one that he brought up. And I, I, again, I thought of even like social media. Again, there's no cost there. You're not spending your life savings to buy something and, and set it up as an idol. But what do you do first thing in the morning? What do you do the last thing before you go to bed? And what do you do a lot of that time in those hours in between? And, and, and I know it, it can affect old people, young people. Um, it, it's not just a young person problem. Right, I'm, I'm hearing from more and more of my friends about their addictions to social media, wanting to know what's going on and always needing to know. And yet, in a, in a way, because again of deep friendships, when I ask them how their relationship with God is, how much time they're spending in prayer and God's word, usually that is struggling, that area of life they're struggling in when they're talking to me about their addiction to social media. So we need to work on identifying our idols and adjusting our priorities in life. That's what Samuel was calling the children of Israel to do. So when we look at this passage today, that's where you and I need to be, right? We need to imagine living our lives with a completely open hand, right? Everything. Any lifestyle that we've become accustomed to, the home we live in, the car that we drive, everything. If you had to get a different car today, right, sell your nice, beautiful, expensive one and drive around in a 25 or 30 year old one, would your life be over? Right? If so, we need to work on adjusting that, right? Adjusting our, our view on that. Everything that we have, we need to hold with an open hand. We need to, we need to imagine thinking more about God and the gospel worshiping and sharing than we do about all the things that consume our hours throughout the day. We need to spend more time with God. So first one, I won't spend that amount of time on every other one, but the first one was removing idols from your life. So if you're taking notes or if you're highlighting, remove idols from your life. The second thing was direct your heart to the Lord, right? So if you're removing things that maybe have taken a, a, a hold of your heart, have become your focal point to look at, have become the biggest thing, what are you going to do with that vacuum, right? You've created a vacuum. What are you going to do with that? We need to direct our heart towards the Lord. Walter Bergerman called the heart the organ of commitment and loyalty, right? The heart is the organ of commitment and loyalty. And, and that's the way it was in Hebrew thought, do you love the Lord with all your heart? That's a valid question that each one of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how much we read God's word or pray or worship, we need to continually ask ourselves, are we in love with God? Do we love the Lord with all of our hearts? So be intent this week to focus your heart and your mind on the Lord and on things of the Lord. Start rooting out some of those idols that might be in your life and focus in on God. Weed out the distractions, right? You could have the most beautiful plant out in your garden, but if you got to knock away all the weeds to show it to me, I'm distracted. I've gone out there to see your beautiful plant and it's buried underneath all the garbage, the weeds, right? You want to clear all that stuff out so that we can see 
the flower so that we can see the plant. And I think you and I need to weed out things that are distractions in our lives as we focus in on God. We need to strategize ways that we can direct our heart towards the Lord. We need to get creative with that. So maybe that's not listening to sports radio on the way into work. Maybe that's putting on a book that helps you kind of focus in and direct you towards God on a book on tape or what, you know, on your, on your phone, playing through your stereo. Maybe it's worship songs. Maybe it's quiet time, right? Maybe it's being intentional and reading a verse or two with a family member in the morning or again at night. So we want to be a people that direct our heart towards God. We want to remove the idols. We want to direct our hearts towards the Lord. And the final thing he says here, which is our big idea of today, we want to serve him only. Now notice this phrase is repeated again in verse 4, right? This is really the theme of this chapter. Okay, I'm telling you the big idea right here, what we're looking at all day today, serving God alone. Repentance means to change your mind. Remember, we talked about that at the beginning. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you repented or you turned away from your old thought pattern and you focused in now on God. You've changed your life. You've done a 180. Continual repentance is necessary. When you fall into sin, whether it's a one-time thing or something becoming a habit or you're allowing it to become an idol in your life, when you turn from it, you got to, when you repent from it, you got to turn away from it, change your mind about it, and then change your actions. You can't just say, I don't want to do this anymore, and then in a day or two find yourself in the same place again. You need to change your mind about it and then take action to make sure that your body follows what your heart has decided. Think of what set Samuel apart from Eli and his sons earlier on in 1 Samuel. He constantly was said to be serving the Lord. You want to repent of something, turn from it, fill that void in that vacuum that's going to be created by it, by getting rid of that, the distraction, the weeds, the clutter, you need to serve the Lord. You need to move forward and have action that fills that and gives you that purpose that you need in life. Are you a servant of the Lord? Ask yourself that today. Ask yourself that this week. This should be something that should be on your mind all the time. If not, you, you may need to repent as Israel did. You may be a Christian, but are you serving God? And a lot of times when we talk about service, we talk about service here at church. We'll be like, hey, we need some more kids ministry people. We need some security people. We need more people to come in the morning, help us set up or tear down. But serving God needs to be more than on Sunday morning. Right? It needs to be throughout the week. It needs to be in your family. It needs to be at your job. Now, I think a mature Christian should want to serve in their church. I truly do. Not just because we always have holes that we're trying to plug here and we need people to serve, but because that is what the Bible calls us to do, to be a part of the local church. Okay, If you don't know that or believe that, read Acts. And, and you'll see that we are called to be a part of the local church, not just come and consume, but to be a part of what's going on here. So uh, if you're, if you're visiting today or if you haven't found a home church for yourself or, and you're considering the grace works, or maybe you're just visiting from out of town today, find a church that you believe in so much 
that you know that God has called you to be a part of that and that you're willing then to put your actions where your heart is. And you'll become a person that wants to help out and wants to serve. But this goes above and beyond that. We're to serve the Lord in our lives. So we want to be mature Christians. We want to live our best life. We need to serve God only. Now, luckily, the rest of these verses won't take quite as long. We'll be able to apply a lot of what we just learned throughout the rest of this. Picking up in verse 5. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So Samuel here calls for a nationwide prayer meeting, right? He wants everybody to come together. Everybody needs to, to group up, come together here. You're, we need a call on the Lord, right? We want to come back to him. We're going to get rid of our idols. We're going to move forward. Now, remember a few weeks ago, Israel had that mortal wound and they refused to admit it. Uh, the big idea that week was there's only one thing to do. Repent, right? So this is the same story we've been talking about. The children of Israel needed to repent. And finally, they're getting there. But this is like 20 years later. When you look at the timeline, this is 20 years later. Something interesting here uh, that, that we read quite a few sources this week, uh, trying to figure it out exactly what's being said in these verses. It says that they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. There's not an exact uh, Old Testament parallel. Um, I, I, again, I read multiple authors on what they thought this might be, this act of pouring out before the Lord. But there were a couple different possible explanations, and I'm sure there are probably even more because, again, there's a lot of a lot of speculating in this. But the pouring out of water, one of the uh, authors that I read this week that I highly respect said the pouring out of water seems to have been a way of expressing a need for cleansing. Like we're at a place, we're ready, we're going to repent, we need to do this thing, we're going to pour out this water, this drink offering, right in front of, of the altar. It, it was as though the people were saying, we know that we've sinned and we need to be washed clean. Right? When you're out working in the yard, maybe you're doing some, some uh, landscaping and you get dirty and you're muddy, you want to get in there and get a shower or back, get yourself cleaned off. That's the way the children of Israel were feeling. And, and we see that based on their reaction here. So it could have been that, right? And, and you, can, you can look at Lamentations 2.19, pour out your heart like water. So that kind of idea, that concept uh, could be definitely playing into this. It could have been a reflection of the tears and the, the grief and the sorrow that their sin had caused them as they're realizing really the extent of their rebellion, right? And, and so we have this intercession going on on behalf of God's people by Samuel and the people there pour out water. The second thing I thought was kind of interesting there Without an exact parallel, uh, it's different, difficult to know for sure, but it, it definitely has symbolization of repentance, contrition, total surrender, humility. We looked at quite a few Psalms this week, Psalm 22, 14. Um, there's, there's just all of these things, like self-denial. Water is life, right? We need water, okay? We need water for things to grow. We need water for our bodies, Right, and so we 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 see that idea definitely in this. Um, it also may have been a proclamation that Yahweh, not 
Baal or Asheroth was the true source of life. Like we've been holding on to these idols, but they're not life. We, we hear you, Samuel, and what you're saying. We're going to get rid of our idols and acknowledge before God that he is a source of life, much like water, the source of fertility instead of these gods. You know, just this idea of that. And the third thing we kind of saw this week that was worth mentioning is, is we see in these verses that they were going to deny themselves of food, right? It says that they fasted on that day, right? So it could even have just been like, hey, here's our water for the day. Not only are we going to fast of the food that we should be eating today and focus in on the Lord, but we're going to pour out our water. Right? And they fasted on that day. The, the next statement there in the verse kind of leans, maybe it could have even been towards that. But the, the Israelite sin was a public one. This wasn't one person hiding in their tent. This was, this was a nation. And so here we see this public confession, which is what I think was necessary at this time. They say, we have sinned against the Lord. And for anyone who's been caught in sin and gotten to the place where they needed to confess, you know that the confession is so good for the soul. When you have somebody that you can, that you can confess to before in, in, in the face of the Lord, when you say, God, I'm sorry for this and, and I want to be held accountable to live a different way, right? It, it's, it's so good confession. And here as a nation, it was very appropriate that they came together to say, hey, we have sinned against the Lord. And once that was taking place, once the fasting had happened, it says that Samuel judged the people of Israel. Uh, and what is it, exactly does that mean? We know that Israel had, had judges. Samuel being a priest was also in the place of judge here. Judges, the book, um, we've talked about preaching before, uh, and as a, as a, a pastoral staff, so we may get to that here soon. Um, and, and the, the judge was that Old Testament type of governor or leader. And here we see the priest, Samuel, taking on that role. It was much needed. We needed a godly leader, uh, and that's what God gave them in Samuel. They were often, uh, prophets of God that would also speak on God's behalf. And, and play in that role of judge. And, and so their governance was always according to God's law. And that's the leadership that God had called them to sit under. And that's what Samuel was doing here. As a church, the, the, the pastors, the elder boards, uh, that, that we have the, the combined elder board between the two campuses, we, do our best to sit under the authority of God's word. And, and we seek the Lord and, and, and we try to in, include his word in every decision and every thought that we have for the church. So if we're moving into uh, the next book, we pray about it. We talk about it. We talk about needs in our, in our nation, in our world, but also in our local communities. And we ask Holy Spirit to direct us. When we're looking at anything that we're going to do for, let's say, the campus down in Lacey where we have a building, we don't just say, okay, hey, we got some money here. Let's do something. We want to pray about it. We want to talk about it. We want to seek the Lord on those things. And, and so, again, just like Samuel sought the Lord and tried to take the leadership uh, position that God had intended him to have, we as a church, the Grace Works, do the same. 
and, and we want to take God's word, his thoughts, his processes even, and apply them to what we do here at the church. So again, very applicable. You and I, as fathers, as mothers, as friends, as workers or co-workers at our jobs, again, need to seek the Lord and gain wisdom from him. And that's where we'll find uh, what God has called us to do. Moving on, uh, we're on verse 7 here. Now, when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God for us, that he might save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered. So Samuel had called the people together for this prayer meeting, and the Philistines, who had been a thorn in their side, one of their biggest adversaries, had heard that the children of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, and they said, this is a great time to attack them again, right? So we had this religious gathering, this turning back to the Lord going on, and the Philistines thought this is a great chance for us to go after them. Israel had gathered together, all the people in one place. Perhaps the Philistines had thought maybe they're thinking about attacking us. Whatever the reasonings might be, uh, they thought, hey, we might be able to have this last battle and destroy Israel, right? We could come after them. They had already beat them. Remember, and then they had the Ark of the Covenant, and they had, they had taken that for a long time. They'd had this massive victory. They, they probably felt that they could go after Israel again, right? We can take these guys out. They're all together, one final blow. Now, fear may not have been the best response. We see Israel here, supposed to be gathering, supposed to be hearing from the Lord. But when they're afraid, at least they know what to do now, which is a lot better than just running right? They know they need to pray. One wise saying that I absolutely love was, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Nelson Mandela said that, and I love that statement. There's only one thing to do when we're fearful, one thing to do when we're afraid, and that is to pray. Right? As believers in Jesus Christ, we can pray and Holy Spirit hears us and, and he indwells us and he's here with us. And, and the one who has conquered fear forever is the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great passage to be preaching here on Palm Sunday. What we're celebrating is the, as the Lord rode in on the donkey, right? Knowing what the end of the week would hold, even though everyone with him thought, thought it might be something different. He was the one who conquered the power of sin and death and fear and the grip that it had on us. And we need to remember that, that we have Jesus Christ on our side. Are you facing a situation today in your life? that seems impossible. And if you are, I think we can learn from Samuel's wisdom here. Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, your God. 
Samuel then, as he was praying to God, took a lamb and offered it as a burnt offering to the Lord. He did exactly what God had told him as a prophet to do. You might be sitting out there going, okay, Mark, well, that doesn't really work for me. I'm trying to apply this to my life. All right, I want to respond, okay, in prayer. Well, now we see that Samuel's responding with an offering. That's not something we do any anymore. And yet, you'd be right and you'd be wrong. We don't sacrifice lambs, and yet sacrifice is still important to God. As Kevin and I were talking about this this week, it's so important for us to remember that Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that you and I needed. He is the sacrifice that you and I need. He He's the one that once and for all put away the old sacrificial system. The, the difference that God offered Jesus Christ as, as the lamb that was needed to take away the sins of the world. And all, and that sacrifice, the one that we'll celebrate this week, was so great that it was good enough for all time. So when you and I think about prayer and sacrifice and the need for sacrifice, the need for a blood offering, we have that in Jesus Christ. The blood that was shed on Calvary 2,000 years ago is applied to your life when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees rebellion and sin, but he sees the blood of his Son. That is the gift of salvation that we get through the cross. There's no more sacrifices of lambs because the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, was sacrificed once and for all. So as you cry out to God in your time of need, don't ever forget to claim the victory that Jesus won, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is your sacrifice. What can man do to me? What can my life do to me? I mean, what do I truly have to be afraid of if I believe in Jesus Christ and that he is my savior and that I will spend eternity with him, we need to understand what the cross meant and apply that to our lives. They, the children of Israel, they, they, they leaned on the sacrifice, right? They needed Samuel to pray. They needed the lamb to be sacrificed. You and I need to lean into the one true final sacrifice, and that's Jesus Christ. Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. You want your best life? The Israelites wanted their best life. They need to learn to serve God, and we need to serve God only. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now, the Lord has helped us. This is absolutely epic, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to have, 
to been a part of this, to see this experience, to hear the Lord God thunder from heaven and this mighty army of the Philistines to be thrown into confusion. I mean, this is incredible. Total panic struck the Philistines who were sure that they could destroy Israel. Now, again, we don't know for sure. The author here, the idea of thunder could have been thunder from heaven, loud enough, a boom that, that would have done this, or, or some other massive sound that maybe he just lacked the word to use to describe it. But obviously, we see here, it did the trick, and the Philistines knew that God himself was that sound. Remember when they took the ark so many years ago, they were acknowledging, they believed in a plethora of gods and they were acknowledging the strength of Israel's God. They had heard the stories. They knew what was happening. And here is, that's why they wanted the ark, right? But here we see that God shows up again and in a mighty way is there for his people. So instead, when they stole the ark, when, you know, 20 some years ago, when they should have turned maybe to the God of Israel, and put away their own gods. They didn't. They didn't turn to him and worship. They tried to use him, much like the Israelites had thought they could use their own God. But they didn't. And here we see God again showing up in the face of the Philistines. And there's a great defeat, it says here. And the men of Israel even pursued the Philistines and struck them down for miles. Samuel leads the Israelites in worship to the one true God by setting up a a huge stone to remember this amazing day. If you've ever sung the song, uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and wondered why it says, Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I find, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Now you know that it was taken from this story, this idea of a statue of remembrance. Ebenezer means a stone of help or or a constant remembrance of what God has done to them or for them. And when, when we were thinking about this this week, uh, we all have different stories of, of ways that God has shown up for us in our lives. And, and uh, sometimes it's a picture maybe that we have hanging on the wall that, that reminds us of a time or of a story. And if somebody mentions it or comments on it, we can tell them of God's goodness. For some of us, we hang a cross in our home. And again, we can look at that cross. We can remember the cross. We can remember Easter and everything that it means, and we look to that for a reminder, not as an idol, but as a reminder of God's goodness. We're reminded this week through the the, the cross and the palm branches and the empty tomb. So how can you create memories of what God has done for you and your family? Get creative. Set something up that reminds you of God showing up for your family. Something that your children will look at and remember. An Ebenezer that they can look at in their own lives. That the help that we get is from God. If you want your best life... You need to serve God only. These last five verses here, we're going to see, uh, they, they kind of serve as a summary of Samuel's whole life and ministry. We, we will see the results of a life well lived in service to the Lord. So let's, let's read those. 
So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. You can see when they turned back, when they repented, when they focused in on God, God showed up in a mighty way. We see that Samuel's life and ministry was one that pointed his people towards serving the Lord. A real leader. What was a real leader? Godly leadership. We saw that and we see that in Samuel. We've seen before that poor leadership has its consequences and those consequences roll downhill. It doesn't just affect the leaders. It didn't just affect Eli or his sons, but it affected Israel. And the same thing we can say here with godly leadership and blessing. It flows downhill also. And they found that leadership in Samuel. Now the Philistines who had been a thorn in Israel's side for such a long time are subdued by God during Samuel's time as a judge and as a prophet. And in fact, Israel gained back what the Philistines had previously taken. Samuel found success in the Lord by serving the Lord. The last few verses here, starting in verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all of these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. So Samuel's ministry is kind of wrapped up here. It's described here. It's kind of a circuit, right? Uh, I I imagine like the old-time preachers would go from town to town and preach. But here, this prophet would go around judging the people, serving God, bringing God's word to them. He was was a, a pastor. He served God by ministering to those people who needed it the most. Sometimes we as pastors get to teach people things that they don't know, that they didn't know before. And that's exciting, especially when somebody newly places their faith in God and we get to kind of walk them through what it means to be a Christian. But more often than not, I feel like I'm called to remind all of us of the things that we already know, that we need to get back to work. We know these things, but we've allowed them to slip. We need to get back to doing those or keep doing those. And again, that's, I think, what Samuel was doing here. Ramah was home for Samuel, and he ends up building there an altar to the Lord. He wanted to serve God. He knew that his best life was serving God only. So as we, as we come to the end of this sermon, the worship team is going to come back up now, and we kind of process through all that God has, has called us to do. You and I want to be a people who serve God faithfully. We want our best life. We know that in our lives, sometimes there are things that we need to turn from. We need to repent from. And this week, this this Easter week, I think is a perfect time to look at our lives and, and ask God to expose anything that we might have built up into an idol, even if it was unintentional. And that God will give us the strength to not only tear those down, but to fill that hole 
to, to, to replace that idol with service to him.